So, for the recording, hello to you there online. We are in week two, and we're just going to pick up where we left off last time. I'm going to jump over systematics and apostles, which is the two headings on the bottom of page two, uh, for the sake of time, and I'm going to concentrate at the top of page three on the gospel, or Christocentric, if you want to talk in those kinds with those kinds of words, um, and, and uh, say a couple of things about that before moving on to method. And the point here, uh, what we're doing at the moment, is we are thinking about um, a range of factors that shape our reading generally of Scripture. Uh, so we're not concentrating too much on, I guess it, it over. You could you could argue that it's part of method, but uh, I'm separating these things out for the purpose of um, these discussions. Now, here what we want to do is think about how the way that we read the Bible needs to be shaped by the gospel. Um, it needs to be shaped, and what that means is that it needs to be shaped by uh, the incarnation, the life, the teaching, the miracles, death, resurrection, ascension and return uh, of Jesus, uh, all of his work on the cross. Um, we want it to focus on the forgiveness of sins. We want it to focus on the kingdom of God. We want it to focus on the glory of God. And we want it to focus on repentance, faith and obedience. And the reason I put these things here is because they are central to the Christian message and so this is a um, question of accuracy and proportionality. Um, as an example of this, we could reference Luke 24. So if you want to look up that, you can look at Luke 24 and see that the way that see the way that Jesus um, speaks of the Old Testament scriptures as referring to Himself. Uh, but I'm going to read uh, John chapter five where Jesus is speaking to, uh, I believe it's uh, some of the Jews um, who were seeking to kill him because he was breaking the Sabbath. And he says to them, you search the scriptures, this is in chapter 5 of John, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is the they that bear witness about me. The point being here that the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, they look forward to the coming of Jesus. Uh, and they um, they set up his life, and then his the life, um, the incarnation, life, etc., death, resurrection, is the central focus of um, the history of God's salvation, and then the. Overflow of that is these other things that I've mentioned, forgiveness of sins, etc. And so they need to be central and shape our reading. We need to keep those in view and, and use that as a, an interpretive lens to help us um, understand any given passage properly. Okay. We can kind of move to another, um, the next phase of how to read the Bible well now, uh, that heading that we just looked at for the last five minutes was the last of the preliminary um, elements.
elements that needed to be discussed before now looking at a method. So how do we go about reading a book um, or reading a portion of the Bible well, uh, starting from scratch? So here we are on page three on the method. Now, first thing to say here is simply that anything is better than nothing. Um, as was mentioned last week, if we're not reading our Bibles, then this is going to be of no relevance. Um, but if we are, then that's going to be a much better thing than not reading them. So we need to read our Bibles. There's just no getting away from that. Um, and so I just want to draw your attention over to a couple of points under general factors, which is on page four, which are related to this. Um, we need to acknowledge that studying the Bible takes time. Um, as we mentioned last week about the fact that we're finite, uh, we cannot just, we cannot just uh, download all of this information into us. Uh, it takes time to read, it takes time to think, so we have to carve that time out. There's no getting around. If we're to be good readers of the Bible and good listeners to God, we have to take time. Um, also just point out here that we're not always successful, as it were, um, but it's always useful. And what I mean by successful at that point is it may not always feel as though there was something necessarily specific for us in our reading. We might read and think, well, that doesn't quite feel like what I wanted to hear or felt like I needed to hear right now. Um, but it is very, it will always be useful. It will, all knowledge of scripture that we have will come back around and help us in interpreting other parts of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, and as we get a better grasp of the whole, we can begin to understand the parts. And so any reading contributes to that. Um, and then I just want to bring up the next uh, one more point under those general factors, and that is the note there about getting stuck and moving on. Um, uh, the reason I've put that down there is because sometimes... We are better off just, if you, you might be reading through a part of the scripture and you get stuck on something and you think, hold on, what is this about? And you, you kind of drill down um, and you start to take quite a considerable amount of time over it. Uh, I think that there's value in, there's obviously value in um, trying to understand every part of scripture, but at the same time, there's another principle I think at play which is at some point we kind of just have to put it down for the minute and move on and perhaps we'll benefit if we just keep on reading through. So um, for example rather than getting um, bogged down on who the man of lawlessness might be in our morning reading uh, we might it might be that's a good thing to think about and we should think about that it's part of scripture but it might be the case actually it's really good for us just to read just to press on press pause there read on, read the whole book, um, and then come back to it. There'll be times to really dig into those difficult parts of Scripture. That's just a few things to say on anything is better than nothing. Let's read our Bibles. Now, the next point I have there is what um, is called the WSM method, and I'm taking that, I'm stealing uh, the idea from Jonathan Pennington in his book, Reading the Gospels Wisely, uh, and he, uh, that stands for what strikes me. So this is the what strikes me method. Um, and we mentioned this a little bit last week. Uh, James mentioned the 
uh, Lectio Divina, however you pronounce that, I believe it's a Latin term, divine reading. Um, uh, I don't know precisely what that is, but um, what it sounded like was something similar to the What Strikes Me method. And the idea with the What Strikes Me method is you read a portion of scripture uh, you and you kind of contemplate or you think, what jumped out at me? What struck me about this? And um, is God speaking to me personally through something that has been said here? Um, and the point there being, it might not necessarily be the main point uh, that the author of Scripture was trying to make, um, but it's, it's stuck out to you, and therefore is God speaking to me through that? That is what the What Strikes Me method is. Um, I've got it here because I think that there's value in it, but I want to just put a couple of qualifications next to it. Um, and so the, fir the first thing here is I just wanted to say I, I just want to acknowledge the reality of its existence um, experientially, that's happened for me, and I think a number of other people that I've spoken to, that's been the case. Things have just kind of jumped out the page and struck them as they're reading the Bible. Um, uh, but I want to um, uh, distinguish um, a couple of things. The first is uh, make a distinction between um, good and necessary consequence uh, and things that are not good and necessary consequences. Sometimes we might be reading something and what jumps out at us is a good and necessary consequence of what is in, um, in the scripture. So, uh, for example, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it might not be the case that he wants to uh, major on the fact that, well maybe I could give it another example uh, where there's a portion of scripture that speaks about heaven and it may not be the case that the author is trying to convince us that there is a heaven. Um, nonetheless, when we read it and we find out, oh, right, there's a heaven. Remarkable. Uh, it kind of jumps out at us and we are struck and we think to ourselves, ah, a whole bunch of things could follow on from that, such as... Um, my whole perception of reality needs to change. Uh, I've been thinking about the world in a way that is uh, purely materialistic and uh, only consists of the things that I can currently see or know about, but there is a dimension called heaven, and that's where God dwells. Um, that may not have been the author's point, but it struck us, and then we need to distinguish which parts are we taking away from this impact that we've had are good and necessary from what we've read. One factor that wouldn't be good and necessary is that heaven has monkeys in it. That would just be something fanciful that came out of our minds. Um, so we need to think through, uh, even within the What Strikes Me method, what are the good and necessary consequences here? Um, we also, I think, need to recognise that there can be a complex intention of an author. An author can be saying things, but having one intention, but having an, a, um, layered intentions at the same time. So having a number of intentions. 
It may be that an author is using particular words knowing that the audience who hears will be diverse and therefore the main point may be one thing that, of what he's trying to say but it's phrased in such a way that he's gathering up other people to encourage, convict at the same time. Um, an example sometimes is given um, of how there can be multiple purposes uh, for a statement by the example of the, um, uh, the mother in the dining room, knowing that her husband is next door, uh, her children ask her um, uh, a question about um, uh, when she was married, and she says in a louder voice than necessary, our anniversary is uh, next week uh, on the 23rd, and uh, currently uh, it's a free evening uh, for for um, in the house. So she's clearly answering the question to her children, the audience is there, but she's said it um, in such a way and in such a voice, uh, knowing that her husband is in the kitchen next door, um, just to make sure that her husband hasn't forgotten as well. That's just an example of uh, somebody speaking or communicating with dual purpose in mind based knowing multiple audience. And it's the same with scripture. There's a complex intention that I think needs to be taken into consideration when we consider the what, what strikes me method. Um, sometimes, and it's mentioned further down, um, what's happening in a book is that there are a number, the book, the author itself of the book is doing a number of things. And there are a number of threads in the book that are working together. And so at any given point, sure, he's talking about um, he's got one point that he's trying to aim at, but at the same time, he's contributing, the words that he's using to make his point are contributing to another theme in the book that he wants to develop. So, he can, he can say his point, he could have said it in a few different ways, but he chooses to say it in this way because he gathers up imagery or words that will together um, uh, work with other parts of the book where he'll use that imagery um, to make another point. And so he will, uh, there will be, you can be struck by the, that, that little bit of the thread that you're spotting, despite the fact that that is not the main point. So that's complex, complex uh, intention. Also with this, uh, what strikes me method, we just need to recognize that um, at some point, things can become simply uh, fanciful. And so we need to recognise that there has to be some controls when it comes to interpreting scripture. Um, it can't just be a completely, uh, as some people have said, you know, it can't just be a, a wax nose that you can mould uh, into any shape you like. Um, another way to think about the What Strikes Me method is to think of ingredients. Uh, it might be that the author is wanting to make a cake, and that's his main point, but in order to make the cake, he has to um, include a certain number of ingredients. It might be the case that the Lord wants to impress upon your heart some of those ingredients, four things that he's teaching you at a given time. And so it might be that you keep spotting um, something about uh, faith. And it may not be that faith is the main point, but it's that God is teaching you about faith at the moment. 
and the importance of faith. And so faith jumps out at you. So ingredients and uh, cake is another way to think about it. Um, I'll just now give a couple of reasons why I think that there can be problems with the What Strikes Me method and why I don't think it's the best um, that we should not adopt it as our as simply our only method of reading the Bible. And then we'll move into how I think we should, but we'll press pause after that and just have a quick chat, if you like. Um, so, um, I have spoken to people uh, before um, whose method of reading the Bible is to, you just open up the Bible and you read it, and if nothing strikes you, you can just put it down, close the book. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit is not speaking to you. Or it might be that if you, you open up the book and you read it, and if something jumps out at you, that's it. You just focus on that bit, and the rest didn't really seem clear, so you kind of leave it. Um, I think the risk of this is that there is a danger that we... And it seems to me that that puts an awful lot of um, reliance... Um, that your unctions or your feelings prompted, uh, that you consider to be promptings by the Holy Spirit um, are consistently accurate. And the risk is that large portions of Scripture will be left out because they will just not strike you and you'll wonder why. Um, Not only so, but oftentimes what Scripture wants us to do is it's trying to make us move. And so the danger of always doing the what strikes me method is that scripture starts to move to, um, you, it moves but, uh, to, to fit you, you don't move to fit it. So you might be reading a psalm, for example, and you think to yourself, I really wanted something to kind of encourage me and say, you know, God is your refuge and trust in him. Um, but it turned out that it was about something completely different, um, which I was not interested in at the moment. Uh, in fact, it was just all about a king and what's that doesn't really feel immediately relevant to me and so what ends up happening is um, scripture then can appear dry to you Uh, but what's happened I think at that point is we are the ones who are supposed to move to scripture scripture is saying to us in those moments come up it's calling us up higher out further in deeper you need to move around and see why, God says, I'm focusing on this portion of Scripture. Why have I got so much in my Psalms about the King? Why do I have so much about these themes? Uh, They may not be of interest to you. That's because you need to change, not my Scripture. You need to change so that your concerns line up with my concerns so that every time you read the Scripture, ultimately, you would go, Yes, wow, yes, wow, because you've actually moved around to where the place where you're, you're viewing things from God's perspective. You start to see, ah, oh, the king is really important. So, for example, with the psalm of it, focusing on the king, the point here is actually, it's perhaps, perhaps the point there is to move you around to go, actually, it's not about me mainly here. I'm following in line after this king. There's things here to be said about the king. This is moving towards King Jesus. So, scripture can appear dry, portions can be left out, um, we can, which ends up distorting our, um, uh, our 
proportions of scripture. Um, and so I don't think that it should be, there are a couple of dangers. And so therefore I don't think that it should be our pursuit, but I also recommend not ignoring it when it happens and always to check it within context and whether there's good and necessary consequences. Um, so that's a few things to say about that. And there's probably a lot more to say. Okay, and we're back. And now we are going to um, think about how to read a book. And we looked at the What Strikes Me method. How would we go about working out whether we've read a particular portion of scripture correctly? Um, and this is what I would do. Um, first thing I'll say is I'll remind us uh, on page one, uh, at the top of the handout, um, under the heading Overarching Aim, the very last point there, I'll just remind us of what the aim would be. The aim in understanding any given portion is to understand the parts and the whole and to understand the parts in relation to the whole and the whole in relation to the parts. And what that means is it means zooming in to look at the trees and zooming out to look at the forest. And we don't want to lose sight of either. And that is a really helpful thing to remember. So don't forget that. You want to see the forest and the trees. You want to zoom in and out. And what you're trying to do in the book is you're trying to make sense of all the parts in this book. And what that's doing really is that is thinking about words in context. That's how words work. Words make words have meaning and make sense in the context. They, have the, they mean things in the context of sentences. Sentences in the context of paragraphs, paragraphs in the contents, contexts of books, books in the context in the context of the Bible. And so you're zooming in and out and you're checking to see whether your reading fits. Does it fit the immediate context? That's words. Does it fit the book? That's looking at the author's purpose in his book. Does it fit the Bible? That's thinking about systematics. Have I read this in such a way that it is completely um, repugnant to another part of scripture? So that's zooming in and zooming out, and that's the kind of aim. The sweet spot, as it were, would be be able to say, here is the book, here is the reading, and here is why the author has put these words in here. Because let me show you what he's trying to do in the book. Let me show you how all the other parts in the book make sense in light of what I've said here um, in this smaller portion. <clears throat> now, at one level, that's an unattainable goal because we're dealing with scripture um, that is as deep as the ocean. But at another level, it's a really helpful um, lens to continue to look at because it strengthens our understanding and makes, helps us to know that we've got the right reading. What that means is um, that a good way to start is, bullet point number three, read a book fairly quickly at least a few times. Um, now, uh, I'll just mention again, before you um, read it, and given that we kind of feels like we're starting the section now, um, we must remember that we must pray. We spent time last week talking about the need for prayer and the spiritual exercise that reading the Bible is. So I'm not going to belabor that point, but I'll just raise it again um, because it is worth repeating all the time. We must pray. It's a spiritual exercise and the Holy Spirit is the one teaching us. Um, and I've got there three types of reading. What I mean by that, lounge reading, study reading and sync reading. Uh, I got it from a friend um, at Oak Hill. He mentioned it. Uh, Roger Day was his name, um, just in, in conversation. And what that means is lounge, that, three types of reading. And the point here is 
There's lounge reading, which is a pick up the book, read the whole thing, read it fairly fast. Um, and the idea there is you want to get the book in your system. You want to kind of have a grasp on the book as a whole. Letters were meant to be read as letters. The Gospels were probably meant to be read uh, or heard in one, one sitting, the whole thing. Um, and that helps you understand the whole. And if you don't read it and have it kind of in your head, you're not going to spot the themes that are running through the letter. And reading it uh, a few times fairly quickly and getting a handle on the whole will help you as you zoom into the parts. That's lounge reading. Study reading is focusing on the parts. So drilling in, looking really closely at um, the grammar and the vo uh, vocabulary of the, 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 the smaller units. And sink is just a case of you're at the, you're at the um, washing the dishes and meditating on the scripture. That's a kind of ruminating on the book as you go about daily life. Um, there are kind of three ways to think about if you wanted to understand a passage or get a book, get a better handle on a book, that's three ways to do it. Right. Um, okay, bullet point number four now. Then I think there's a, a time factor. I've already mentioned that study of the Bible takes time. But here I've got observation. And what, what, I'm, what I would do then is I would, after reading the Bible um, quickly a few times, I would start with uh, my portion. I would probably break it up and look for some structure. So I'd be looking for um, units of thought. Where does, where does a unit of thought end? Where can I kind of say, ah, there seems to be a, a shift here in what the author's talking about, uh, whether this particular narrative, if you're reading a part of the Old Testament, um, this story seems to end here, so I can kind of read that as a unit. So I'd break it up into chunks, and I'd probably break the book up into chunks to help me kind of go, these are kind of the main parts, and now I'm zooming in to look at the details. So start out. Let's look at this a little bit. It looks like it's, you know, um, the opening of John, and you read down to about verse 14 or 18, and you go, that looks like it's about a unit. Then you break that up even smaller, and you can go as small as you like. But you're then looking at trying to take on um, bite-sized pieces. Then, once you've got those bite-sized units that you can tackle one at a time, um, or if it's the case that you just want to understand a part of Scripture that you've been interested in, Take time with observation. Now, the point here is you'd be amazed at the number of things that you begin to see as you just take time to observe. If you put your phone away and put your laptop away and put your whatever other thing can, is just potentially going to distract you away and persevere in observation, you'd be amazed at the number of things that start to kind of bubble to the surface that in the first reading you hadn't spotted. And you'll think, oh my word, there is like a real like structure to this little section. Or I hadn't really spotted that there was a bunch of imagery here that all kind of overlapped, the kind of concepts were related. And I hadn't quite been able to see that in my first reading. Um, what will happen is the cream will start to rise to the top and you'll start to see really cool things as you just literally observe. Um, if you can, 
taken him like two hours. That's a that's a time. But like I know it sounds like a fairly decent chunk of time, but maybe if you came home from work, had dinner, da 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 da, you might have one evening where you could probably get through a couple of hours before you needed to go to sleep. Um, and that would be like a super fruitful thing and probably feed you really well. Observation. Now, another thing to do, um, just talking about the book as a whole, uh, moving down to the next bullet point, start and finish. I'm not, sorry, my bullet points here need to be shifted around a little bit in order to make a bit more sense kind of as a progressive way to study the Bible. Um, the start and finish. So that's a way to, this is just a way to kind of get a handle on the book as a whole. What's this book trying to teach? What's it doing? Look at the start of the book, look at the finish of the book. Is there any kind of theme that unites them? Um, is, there some, is there something stated at both ends that's the same? Um, that might help you to understand uh, what is in the middle. That might be, um, for example, in the book of Romans where the book opens and ends with this phrase, to bring about the obedience of faith. Uh, it's just interesting that he's got that phrase uh, at both ends of the book and then trying to think through, okay, why did he feel the need to come back to that phrase, obedience of faith, at the end of the book again? Um, that's the kind of looking at the start and the finish. Uh, it also can be the case that with letters that you can read, um, look at the prayers. The prayers will often be a clue or the opening uh, statements that the, the author makes as a clue to what the letter's about. Um, now, some of my notes here are a bit, uh, what's it called, genre-specific. So I've got now occasion, problem, encouragement, etc. Now that's that will be helpful for um, it will be helpful for the Old um, Testament. Um, perhaps slightly harder to do always trying to work out when it was written, the book, and what the occasion might be uh, for the book. Probably slightly easier with a with a letter in the New Testament. So that might be a good place to start at least um, to think through. What might have been the occasion that inspired this letter? Are there any clues in the letter uh, that there might be a problem that's being addressed? Um, is it evident that there's some sort of encouragement being made? Um, and what you're doing there is you're looking for plausibility. Is my construction of the events plausible? And does it have explanatory power? In other words, this kind of reconstruction about the um, occasion of the letter, does it go on to explain all of the parts or are there, or does my historical reconstruction of the situation um, leave me with a bunch of parts of the letter that really just don't fit well with my historical reconstruction, in which case I might need to change my idea of what the occasion uh, was for the letter. Um, this can be really helpful um, in that when you begin to see what the, Asking the question what the occasion might be will help you to read the letter from different angles to try and work out, okay, what, what are some clues here as to what the burden of the author was? What was he really trying to get across and what, why might he want to say those words? What might be the situation to the people that he's writing? And that will help you see things in the letter um, better than you would have if you didn't try to do that. Um, historical reconstruction and connected to that is the audience trying to work out from the letter what's the state of the audience are they do they sound like they're doing well do they not sound like they're doing well 
And again here, that will help you get into the tone of the letter. And by getting into the tone of the letter, you'll start to realise why the author might be saying certain words. Um, because we want to be cutting with the grain of what the author's saying. We want to kind of pick up on the specific nuance of what he's saying with any given words. Why these words? What's the, what are they trying to do, as we mentioned earlier? Um, okay, a couple more minutes, do a few more. Next here I have, how does the author achieve uh, the purpose? Um, uh, that is simply to say that sometimes an author achieves their purpose in different ways, and that's got to do with the type of, lit, um, the type of genre that the author is using. So um, in a psalm, for example, is the author trying to um, draw you in uh, to his song? Um, in the narrative, um, how is the author achieving his point? Is he, is he trying to achieve his point by um, making me empathise with a particular character or feel a particular tension? Um, the reason why that matters is the different genres will uh, change the way that an author achieves their purpose in what they're doing with the words. Um, not only so, but the way that an author's purpose can be achieved in different ways is um, it might be that the author wants to stack up an argument and it wants you to follow along with the argument and so the point is achieved by you working through these logical Implica uh, conclusions, implications and conclusions, or it might be that an author wants to circle around an idea a few times um, and that's the way that they achieve their purpose. They want you to keep coming back to an idea and thinking, keep thinking about it from a number of angles. So how does the author achieve the purpose? Um, next here I have a bullet point, unique features. Um, what that is, is what you can do is you can take a book and you can say, what is unique about this book um, in comparison to other books? And this is the same point almost with parallels for comparison. So I've got a couple there that you could compare. So you could compare the Gospels with one another. Uh, you might read a portion from uh, Luke and find that Mark has also recorded the same story and then find, ah, Luke's included a couple of words here or a couple of sentences. Why has he done that? Um, and you might, by doing that, you might realize, spot where he's put prominence, where he has emphasized um, certain things. And, you th and then you might think, ah, that's helping me to recognize what he wants me to take away, what, where, he, where he's putting the emphasis. And particularly then, if you zoom out and look at the book as a whole, um, and look at Mark as a whole, that, you know, now you're starting to get like, okay, zooming in on Mark and zooming out on Mark, so okay, that might be what Mark's doing, and Luke, and then comparing the two, now you've got a number of different angles, and you can see, ah, that is, and then you think, right, of course Luke's going to do that. That makes a huge amount of sense why he's going to do that. I suspect, and this is just a, an example from recent, I'm reading uh, Luke at the moment, and we're going to look at um, some um, parables of Luke coming up here, and Luke seems to have quite a lot to say about money um, and the poor. I thought that's interesting because when I got to the sermon on the so-called Sermon on the Mount, which for Luke is the Sermon on the Plain, but it could be a plain on a mount, 
he doesn't say blessed are those who are poor in spirit, which is what Matthew says. He just says blessed are those who are poor, right? And I thought, oh, it's interesting that there's an ad poor in spirit. And I wondered if the reason why is because he wants to bring, he wants to bring, he, he, he brings money and pride um, close together with riches and he brings poverty and humility close together. Um, not to equate the two exactly, um, with a perfect one-for-one, but because he seems to have a purpose of uh, bringing down the proud and raising up the humble, and I suspect that it's often the case that riches and power go with pride um, and poverty um, uh, goes with, seems to go with humility. This kind of Mary's and um, statement at the beginning: "You have brought down the proud, and you have lifted up the humble. Uh, you brought down the mighty from their thrones." It seems to be a kind of polemic that Luke has and fits his purpose. Anyway, that's an example of how comparing the two might work. Likewise, you've got Samuel, uh, the books of Samuel and Chronicles, which obviously record large amounts of the same period of history, but will differ fairly um, starkly in what they include in their um, accounts of the history. It's not that either of them are giving um, incorrect histories, it's that all history writing is selective and so each of them has selected the bits that they think are the important bits in order to communicate the points that they think are important for their audience to know about. And so comparing Samuel to, the Samuels to Chronicles is a way of helping us to see which bits are standing out um, and therefore what the great aim of Chronicles or Samuel might be. Uh, what's the time? I'm going to do just a couple more minutes. Um, uh, yeah, themes. Look for themes, parallels, imagery. Yeah, let's do imagery. Imagery, I think, is really good. We, we hear probably quite a bit about, you know, things like repetition. Uh, let me just do these couple, actually. Yeah. Imagery. It's really good to get into imagery. Um, you know, I found that a really helpful tool to kind of try to use your imagination to reconstruct um, the situation. Why this imagery? Why is this imagery being used here? Um, and how is that... Um, what does that imagery achieve as we kind of enter that world that they're bringing us into? Uh, I remember preaching on this idea of um, uh, in Proverbs about uh, a man who goes, uh, commits adultery. It's, or I can't remember if he's committing adultery, if he's walking past the woman of the, of the adulterer's house. And he's putting himself in this position of risk, effectively. And then he says, can a man carry fire in his um, bosom and not be burnt um, and the idea there is he's given you a bit of imagery to help get his point across and his point is that as you think about that image you think it brings up some it helps you to understand the power of what's going on what happens if you pick up fire well that's crazy isn't it 
and, and why would you carry it close to your chest? Um, it will burn you. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost, a, it's almost a, a silly image to even talk about, but he wants you to see that, that that's what you're doing as you put yourself in that context where you're being seduced by the wayward woman of uh, folly and, and a genuine wayward woman. And so meditating or thinking about the imagery that's being used helps you to um, uh, grasp what the author is trying to achieve, what he's trying to do with the words for you. And so imagery, the Im there's lots of different imagery um, that gets used all the time um, and really helpful. Um, so consider the imagery. Um, and then with repetitions, uh, yeah, I'll make this the last point, and that's simply to say the repetitions aren't always directly direct verbal repetitions. It won't always be the case that the author will um, repeat the same word precisely, but will um, repeat related concepts. Um, and you have this in uh, the book of Philippians, where he brings up the idea of thinking quite a bit. And so he, he calls you to have the same mind as one another. He calls you to think about things that are valuable, um, precious, um, whatever's pure, lovely, commendable. Think about these things. He also says um, uh, if, if there's been any um, comfort by the, Holy Spirit, um, by the Holy Spirit, have this mind um, in you, the mind of Christ. And so there's a few kind of conceptual links there, while not direct verbal links. Um, as you take that time to observe and you see the concepts rising, you see, ah, there's some overlapping concepts. It's not precisely the same words, um, but there's a repetition in concept which then helps you to um, grasp uh, better what, what the author's doing. I'd love to keep going, but for time I'm going to end there. We have more notes. Uh, if you're at this church and you want to talk more about it, uh, I would love to talk about how to read the Bible better. Um, this makes me very happy. I will be available for you. Send me an email if you want to talk.